They want attacking purpose for football all the time. Now we've got our backs against the wall and we're going to fight, and we're going to fight hard. You've got to show me all the gaps and all the determination you've got in your body. You've got to inspire me. A marvellous kick. That's as good as you'll ever see. And Footscray are back in front. From inside the centre square, boys kick the goal. Boys kick the goal. From inside the centre Hey, Pac, welcome to the Brownlow Autopsy edition of uh, Danny Boyd, which is a podcast about the greatest football club known to uh, any living thing. That is the Footscray Football Club, Petritra Limited. They trade as Western Bulldogs. I'm Danny McGinlay. I'm usually joined by Tom Boyd, and I sort of am, but he is, uh, he's on the injured list uh, today. He's, uh, well, Boydie, uh, why don't you tell the listeners, how you going, mate? Oh, mate, I, um, I'm the 28-year-old going on 50, I think, at this stage in my life. Um, after many years of back injuries, I've got uh, what I believe to be a herniated disc in my back at the moment, which basically means I think that, like, the way they describe discs in your back is like a jam donut, and the jam donut is essentially used to be a shock absorber for your spine, yep. right? Yeah, I'm with you so but far. When you jump in- and what happens when there's a rupture in the jam donut is that the jam comes out, would you believe? And in that scenario, it leaks onto your nerves, which is what has happened to me, I think. And it means that my whole entire leg is um, being affected by pain and, um, and strange feelings. So hang on, you've hurt your back, but it's your leg copping the pain. It's like a nervous referral, I think, is essentially <laughs> what's going on. Um, so yeah, I'm yeah all banged up, mate. All banged up. What what um, caused but this I'm MRI this afternoon? What what caused and, this uh, injury? Was it uh, was there an incident, or is this just years cumulative years of playing high impact contact sport? Yeah, I mean, I had my first issue with a disc when I was fourteen, and um, I like towards the end of my career, the, the last tw- uh, last six or seven months of my career at the Dogs was plagued by issues with this same disc and same area of my back, but never to this degree. And to answer the question of what was I doing, man, I was asleep and I woke up and it was, you know, just completely wrecked. But having said that, it obviously has been a, it's been an ongoing issue that I've dealt with for the last couple of years, but never to this degree. So um, it is particularly debilitating at the moment, but I'm hopeful that with some intervention in the next, um, well, 12 hours, ideally, um, we see some, See some improvement. What What is the standard uh, treatment for a herniated disc? Well, we're gonna we don't know it's a herniated disc yet, but that's the very it's like very obvious symptoms. So they're like it's pretty sure that it is. <laughs> yeah, you don't um, self diagnose. Yeah, an MRI this afternoon, and then I'll um I'll hopefully get a an injection just to to calm it down, stop the inflammation, as the medication that they put me on to start with hasn't seemed to be working. So. Um, one of the things about Danny is like when you're going through like any injury, right? Any injuries treatment, particularly if it's treated medically, is if you have it treated enough, the effects of that medication just wear off really quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you can imagine, you take anti-inflammatories through your career, which I was always a pretty big proponent of not taking too many because there's very clear health effects that can happen from from that side of things. Um, but the problem is you're always incredibly inflamed when you're playing footy. So it's a balance of like long-term health versus short-term comfort and being able to play football at the best of your ability against the best athletes uh, in the country, arguably the world. So anyway, enough of talking about me and my, um, you know, whims and, and worries. Uh, <laughs> how are you, mate? It's been a 
it's been a few more weeks since obviously the men finished up and then the, uh, the girls are still running around, not to a huge degree of success, but um, we're out there. Yeah, the girls are. Uh, it's it's so frustrating watching the girls because uh, for those who listened to uh, the AFLW preview episode, uh, Berkey had me convinced we were going to win the flag. So it's been a very uh, a very massive shock to the system. Uh, but uh, overall, I'm okay. I've been enjoying the final series. Uh, I'm very much going for the Lions on the weekend. I've actually got nothing against Collingwood or Jordan Ruffhead, Pat Lipinski. It would be great to see them be happy. Uh, and uh, But, you know, Collingwood fans are just really annoying. And a uh, friend of the show, Chad Lichardello, um, is massively going for Collingwood. Um, he's, he's furious at the Lions for the way they screwed us over in the Dunkley deal. So we've been having a bit of arguing on... Uh, on the text uh, over the past week, but uh, he sadly uh, can't come on the show today because he's uh, filming, still filming his show, and uh, he's got to watch the Republican debate for his other TV show, Planet America. But uh, but needless to say, we're, I'm going to be chatting to Boydie for just a, a little bit here because he's in a fair amount of agony, and then we're going to be talking to some other friends of the show. Uh, so you get your content. Mostly, we're going to be chatting about the Brownlow. Uh, I can give an exclusive. Uh, here, I just spoke to Marcus Bontempelli uh, <laughs> outside the MCG. Um, my kids and I lined up to get a photo with him at the footy festival, but uh, you know he knows who I am, and uh, we had a chat about him potentially coming on the podcast next year. He was in really good spirits. My daughter said he should have won. Um, he said thank you. Although I think the the way I know my daughter's tones more than anything, she sort of said it in a way that maybe if you'd worked harder, Marcus, you would have won it. <laughs> Well, I think that's the greatest stab in the in the eye that I feel about this whole thing is there's been a couple of years in the past where Marcus has had to shoulder the load amongst injury and poor form from the team, let's say. Thornton, you go, well, you know, he just didn't have a good run at it. He was completely healthy this whole year. The team obviously didn't perform well, but there was literally, it felt like not a single that Marcus could have done to put himself in a position where he was going to win. And that obviously gets to the major controversy of the whole thing, Danny. And look, this is this is not an indictment on the umpiring or the voting or the, the players who obviously uh, received uh, individual votes that perhaps they shouldn't. My concern is like this whole process that they have where for whatever reason we've decided that they shouldn't have statistics to look at after a game, which I thought was absolute bullshit when I heard it for the first time, right? Because yeah, yeah. there was always... There's always these theories about oh they don't get they don't get statistics and then umpires have come out in the past been like yeah we check the stats at the end of the game and I'm still not convinced it's as cut and dry as what they say it is I reckon that there's been individuals who've seen statistics throughout the game I'm sure there's no way that they could totally avoid it but the thing that really is is an issue for me is for the last probably as long as I can remember probably since like the early early two thousands. There have been players that have been anointed the next Brownlow medalist at early stages in the year. You know, they've come off a good season. Maybe they missed out the year before by a couple of votes and they were a bit hard done by. And they start the season with three or four good games and they go future Brownlow, Brownlow favourite. And they start it. And you watch the media just pick it up and run with it Mm. for the entire season. And what I can guarantee to you is let's just say in a perfect isolated world that the, the umpires aren't reading the statistics at the end of the game. They are 100% reading the papers in some way, shape or form. Yep. And there is no doubt in my mind that that 
bias that comes through the major papers and the online audience influences what they see on game day. Because it's like when I, you know, it was like the kid who had long blonde hair when you played when you were a kid, right? Like you always <laughs> notice and they always seem to get more votes. They were very It was like the Robbie McComb twins <laughs> who, who um, obviously one of which obviously plays at the Bulldogs now. Both him and his brother were star junior footballers, but they're identical twins. So these blokes would win best and fairest all the time because everyone thought they were getting 65 disposals a game. <laughs> but the whole thing to me is it's just a blight on the process that goes on that there's not a balanced scorecard for the way that they approach the voting system because it doesn't give the umpires a good chance. And it's an absolute and, – and, again, take all of that aside. It's an absolute catastrophe that Bont hasn't won a Brownlow yet. Agreed. And I can say that with as little bias as possible because I've watched much, much football in my time. There's been very few players who have consistently influenced the game in such a large way. And I remember talking to you earlier this year, Danny, about the fact that, look, Nick Dacos is an absolute superstar. I still value the way that Bond plays the game more than I value the way that he does just because I see the extra work that goes on as a big midfielder having to deal with all of the contact and physicality and the way he influences the game. So... I'm absolutely devastated, man. I felt a bit sick on uh, on Tuesday morning, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, not just because of the pain. And are you uh, were you looking at the, the the stats being put around on social media? I mean, Lockie Neal got three votes for a game where he, he only got twenty touches, and where there were other people who got uh, you know uh, something like you know thirty three in the same game. Uh, you know, that game, I need to be clear. Josh Kelly had forty one, and Charlie Cameron kicked seven. And he got three votes. <laughs> so, so yes, you did. This is good. You're turning into a uh, you're turning into a nuffy like the rest of us, Boydie. It's fantastic to hear. I didn't. I, I don't know if that that stuff did my head. And I look to to me those two games that they highlight. Obviously, the Jason Horn Francis one and the Lockie Neal one. It was just a shock to me because I don't remember ever in my history of watching the Brownlow, which is relatively religiously every year since I was probably six years old or seven years old. I don't remember games that were that far off. Like, you always remember the games where they always used to make the joke, see Judd three votes, right? Yeah. That, that was a absolute typical thing. But at least he'd have 25 or 26, and it wasn't in the time where individuals had 41 or 42 disposals on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. This is It does seem to be an, an outlier in this uh, this year more than any of it. And that's only going to get uh, worse and worse as people analyse the stats of every single game uh, out there. Did You you never went to a Brownlow, though. Is that right? I never got a vote, never went to a Brownlow. You never got um, a vote, not even once. Nah, probably never really deserved one, to be honest. I only played my good work in games when um, when they didn't have Brownlow votes, <laughs> thankfully. Yes, um, um, good man. Yeah, you got yeah, more Norm the, Smith uh, votes uh, than most. Uh, look, there was, there was probably one or two games where I thought I, I was a chance. Um, but let's be honest, this is a midfielder's – it's a midfielder fest. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't hate it. I think that, you know, there, there was probably one or two years that I watched and I was like, Buddy Franklin, I remember one year, had like – 19 or 20 votes and maybe came fourth or something like that. And I was like, Buddy could have won it and would have been respected as the best player in the competition. Yeah. But again, they just they love these little fellas running around the middle of the ground, just getting easy handballs, mate. That's basically what being a midfielder is, eh? So do you know what the, what's the food like at these? I mean, your friends have gone. I mean, is it do you get to choose what you have? Is it is it a bit more of a new nutrient dense meal, or is it just like any uh, corporate function? They just putting down the chicken and the beef. <laughs> 
It's at Crown. It's the exact same food. Okay. You eat at Crown. For those listeners who've never been, which I imagine quite a few of our patrons would have, if you go to a Western Bulldogs best and fairest, you'll eat the same shit they eat at the Brown, I guarantee. <laughs> um, it's all sponsored beers. It's all, you know, chicken or the beef. It's all catered, um, mass catered. Um, look, I, I think the, the thing that probably some people don't understand about the Brownlow is, you know, there's always the famous stories of, you know, Fev being a bit silly and players getting, you know, on the Terps together and it's all this massive fun party. I said to a, 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 a friend of mine who's still playing the other day, you know, I, I hate the Brownlow. Like from a concept point of view, to have to have gone – not not the not the medal, just the event. Like it is so far not up my alley that I could not think of anything worse to do. Now I'm sure my wife would have loved to go at some stage, but I wasn't good enough for that. Bad luck, Anna. <laughs> but the thing that I said to you know to guys in the past who have gone is you know do, are you going to go and have a few beers with everyone afterwards? And you go, they go, nah. I don't want to like we're going to have a thousand eyeballs on us. I don't want to have all these awkward conversations with these people who think that they know us. Um, and the, you know, it's always the media members and the, and the, those sorts of people who end up having the big night because it's you know it's their grand final. But for the players, it's a nightmare. You know, it's like going to a club function except for every club's in attendance. <laughs> Wouldn't that give you a bit of solidarity? Like uh, you know, you could you and you and Vlosten could uh, go and uh, just hide in the corner somewhere, and you could talk to a few Richmond nuffies for him. He could he could take a few Bulldogs nuffies. Well, I don't, it's not it's not openly openly ticketed, right? I mean, yeah, there's just the media members who go like, look, me and Nick can have a beer whenever we want, really. Like that's the thing. It's um, you know, you're sitting around at this thing, and look, and I've always said this. So you know, I obviously live in Albert Park, and and the PA, uh, the AFL PA is in Albert Park, and the typical place to go is Dundas and Fawcett, which is directly opposite. And if you go there, you'll run into six or seven people from the AFL in one way, shape, or form. They're either like. List managers or managers or players or, or media people, whoever. I absolutely hated that and still hate that to this day that there's this there's this weird like expectation of camaraderie between players who know each other because they've seen each other on the opposition versus like, you know, you're actually friends with people. And it's always that awkward. I don't know if you get it, Danny, with the comedians, but it's this awkward, oh, yeah, we both know who each other are. We Do we wave or say hello or like, what is that? What's that like? Uh, comedians, yeah, we always have to have to talk to each other and uh, you know ask how the you know what gigs you're doing and uh, oh yeah, who books that and uh, how your sales and sni- like dogs sniffing each other's asses, just making sure that uh, no one's being more successful than you, or if they are, there's a justified reason for it. That's it. And then look, I, it's not that I dislike AFL footballers. I, I've said a thousand times publicly and privately how much I think they have to offer above and beyond what people actually think of them as footballers running around on the TV screen, but that's not the same to say that I want to see, you know, the 900 players that are on the list every single year and say hello to all of them, you know, <laughs> it's a, a very different story. Um, anyway, uh, look, I, again, I just think that my greatest fear, and this is a stupid fear and a rational one is, you know, I'm still very firmly in the boat that Bond's going to go down the greatest bulldog ever. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to be deniable at Clubland. But in 10 years and in 20 years, and whether this is important to him or not, I don't know. I imagine it is. It would be a guess. But I imagine that his legacy is important to him just given how much work he's put in. But if people have this ability to dismiss his standing as one of the absolute greats of the game because he never won a Brownlow, that's going to really piss me off, especially because of stuff like this happening. Yeah. Um, And, again, it's not about individual accolades, but, you know, there's many, many people I think that sit in the camp of, you know, 
if we don't get Bond another premiership and if Bond doesn't get a Brownlow in his career, we've we've let him down in a way as, as a Bulldogs club. Yeah, well, that, that is the, the, the narrative that we're all fearing, especially about the uh, the premiership. Brownlow's, you know, I'm sure Bond would be happy. I'm sure if you gave Bond the option between another flag and a, uh, and a Brownlow, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know which one he would pick. Yeah, for sure. But that's the point, right? It's never a either or. They're not mutually exclusive. And if we look, put it put it this way: if we'd been playing in the grand final this week, um, guaranteed he would have won the brown line, right? Yeah, because he would have got more votes when we won all games. And you know, yeah, there is certainly a bias that exists, and you're always pushing shit uphill if your your teams are you know below five hundred team or or a, you know just above like we were. And just quickly before I let you go on the um, on the grand final this week, who will you be cheering for? Will it be Roughhead and Lipinski, or will it be Dunks and is Dunks the only ex Bulldog person there? Oh, oh and uh, Marcus Adams, even though he's I don't think he's playing. No, he's done. I think Marcus finished the end of last year, if I'm not mistaken, or he's retired. He's retired. Uh, Jaden. Jaden Shea's at the at the Brisbane Lions, the property steward up there now. He was the property steward of the Bulldogs for a long time. Okay. Um, I ran to him recently. He's a good man. Um, yeah, look, I, uh, I look to be honest, very, very base level, I'm cheering for a good game because last year was a fucking disaster. <laughs> what a what day that was. Um, haven't and I could good... not stand watching those Geelong Paradians <laughs> run around with their feathers in the air after winning by 95 points or whatever it was. That was a waste of my Saturday. Um, yeah, look, I mean, Paddy Lipinski is an absolute... Yeah, terrific human being, massive fan of the way he goes about it. Very disappointed that we obviously let him go and that we didn't yep. give him the chance to succeed, you know, at least in my mind that he should have gotten at the dogs. Um, but, yeah, look, I don't know. I mean, one of my best mates from school, McStay, you know, unfortunately did his knee in, a, in an absolute heartbreaking fashion in the prelim, um, so he won't be playing. It's a tough one. Look, I, I don't have a huge feeling either way. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel Collingwood is the same team that I hated probably, you know, five or six years ago maybe. Wait and I don't, I've never really cared about again, Brisbane, mate. to be honest with you. Wait till you deal with Collingwood fans again. Then you will real, you will remember what it's like. And that's why I am going for Brisbane uh, in this uh, encounter. But, yeah, it's interesting you say you want a good game. Uh, we haven't had a good grand final since 2018. Uh, as a neutral, and that's the one that Collingwood lost. They were up by five goals at quarter time, lost by, I think, five points in the end. That was a ripper. Um, but apart Dom from- Sheed. Dom Sheed, that's right, yeah. Yeah, look, I to, to that point, I mean, there is nothing – like I watched 2018 with a bunch of um, friends out in Croydon, actually, and I remember standing there watching him run in for that set shot and going – if there's anyone that I played with growing up who's going to have a clear enough mind to kick a goal from this spot on the ground in this moment, as big as it is, it's Dom Sheed because he doesn't think about a whole lot. He just <laughs> plays footy. He's a real, like, you know, he's a real soul of the earth. Just get, see ball, get ball, kick ball, tackle. Very simple footy. Um, a good, a very good footballer, obviously, but, but someone that I played some AOS footy with growing up. Um, and look, I think it just, it changes the tune of the whole day. Like, you know, my sister came over last year. It was just the just the the four of us, Rani, uh, Anna, and myself, and, and my my younger sister Tess. And we're sitting there like halfway through, going, "What's what are we going to do for the rest of the day?" Yeah. And that's the worst feeling. Like you want to be on your edge of your seat to the last moment, or at least to last last quarter. Yep. 
and then be able to have a relaxing beer after the game and go, oh, that was great. How about that moment? How about this moment? What about this player making his legacy or his career? Who's going to have the breakout game, Danny? You know? Yes, if if like and if you know for one of the many reasons people like the Bulldogs, even if they don't support us, is we give we gave them a great grand final. 2016, you know that would that would be replayed in the grand final marathon overnight. You know that's there's there's only there's what two points in it with five minutes to go. It's uh it's we, absolutely we give them the good stuff. That's why people like us. All right, buddy. So, we, will we yeah. get you back uh, next week for the? It'll be a Patreon episode uh, next week. If you want to hear more exclusive, a uh, bit looser content, so it starts at only five bucks a month. Uh, get it, get involved, and you can hear me and Boydy every week. We've got a good crew on there who ask some very insightful questions, and uh, every week, uh, Boydy uh, names and shames a player who uh, is <laughs> has crippling gambling debt. No, we don't do that. We do, we do tell uh, some true stories. <laughs> And uh, so, so get on board. Boydie, will you be all right by then? Yeah, I'm very hopeful. As I said, I've got a small procedure I'm hoping to get done uh, this afternoon, which should provide me with some relief. But I think the most important thing, Danny, is that, you know, the dogs have been irrelevant on the men's side for five weeks almost now, obviously, except for Bont. Right? We were just riding the Bont coattails. And much like our season, we fell agonisingly clo- uh, short of where we wanted to be. Yep. Um, the, everything starts heating up next week, right? At the end of next week, things start to become trade period stuff. A lot of the players who have either suggested early trades or are getting delisted or in the sort of murmurings around they, where they can go, the information starts to flow next week. So I think we'll uh, we'll endeavour to have some really good inside word for maybe a couple of our key sources, Danny, uh, mm-hmm. to talk through what we hear is happening at the Bulldogs and where some of those players may or may not be going uh, come season's end. All right. Well, I'm going to talk to Mark Stevens next, and I'll see if he's got any early rumours about some uh, some good stuff for us. That's coming up right next on Danny Boyd. Boydie, you feel better. Say bye to our listeners for us. See you, everyone. My daughter's just woke up, so it's magnificent time. I haven't got my game. All right, you get your game face on. Yeah. No, I, I thought we were just chatting. Well, I like to do that thing. I don't know if you ever listened to Mark Maron's podcast. He just he just turns yeah. it on and always kicks in halfway through a conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, well, good, mate. Well, we'll start it up now. All right, well, sweet. What do you want to start with? The brown, the fallout from the Brownlow? Or yeah, that's that sounds good to me. I mean, were you there? Do you get to go along? No, uh, I I've missed the last couple of Brownlows actually. I've probably done twelve to fifteen over the years. Of course, Herald Sun and and at Channel Seven. There was a time there where I got to take a plus one. Uh, that tended to dry up a bit in final years. I took my wife three or four times. She got bored with it. I took my uncle from how long up on the Murray. Oh, that would be awesome. A good night. That was the night Danger one. We ended up in the after party with Danger, all the Geelong people, uh, some uh, Chinese guys booked out the whole, uh, I don't know, it was 16th floor, I think, in Crown, some sort of Chinese business baron. So we had a great time. I've taken my local handyman. Um, a Richmond fan, the night Dusty won. So, look, the Brownlow's a fantastic event. Uh, it does wear a bit thin after a while. I know a lot of people would get bored with it. Yep. Um, you have to leave the room. You can get locked out. If you take a toilet break and you're an ad break, you've got to get out and back in again, otherwise you're locked out. So it's very regimented. Um, but, look, it's a great night, I think. Um, and I really enjoyed the Brownlow this year. The only thing that they don't do, and they, they probably run out of time, there's no real analysis with it. If you notice that, 
in the old days, they used to say, wow, you know, the, the, we're still talking about that Lockie Neal game yeah. um, where he, should have, he shouldn't have got a vote, but that wasn't mentioned in the coverage. Yeah. You know, I think there should be a bit of a, you know, a guy there, a stats nerd saying, hang on, this is a bit of a uh, surprise. Just chip in or something along the bottom of the screen, the stats. I yeah. used to enjoy the analysis, say, after six rounds, some of the shocks. Yeah, I think I, I could I couldn't agree more. I tell you another thing that's uh, quite surprising. Uh, so my nine year old son, who loves stats and loves footy, he, this was a big night for him. But you know, it got to about you know, round six, and it's you know it's his bedtime because he's not. A, and I said, it's okay, it'll be on seven plus tomorrow. You can't get a replay of it anywhere. Channel seven don't have the rights right. to replay it. Right. AFL.com.au don't have a replay of it. It's the only thing you can do is watch um, you can watch an illegal stream on uh, on YouTube with other right. people talking over the top. It's it's actually quite surprising because I think it's a great night for, for kids to watch and and you know and relive right. the season. I know, I, I agree. You you haven't got the record on your Foxtel or anything? You know, no, we we, we don't have Foxtel still. We did, uh, I'm not, it's like, Foxtel's like 130 bucks a month. And I know, I'm getting ripped off at the moment. I just can't be bothered calling to say, give me a better deal or whatever. I need to look into that. That's a good reminder. But it should be like I view with the ABC on the Seven website. Agreed. I agree, you should be able to go back and watch it. The night does drag a little bit. I'm not sure we need to do Mark of the Year. Etc. Etc. I think that we get bogged down with that sort of stuff. I'd like more analysis, but it was a fantastic night. And the bond he led for 15 seconds. I mean, this was such a bulldog moment. Wasn't it? You just knew. You knew it was going to be three votes. Al Neal. It's just the way that it rolls with the bulldogs. And in, you know, it tends to be in big moments. The only time things have really fallen our way in the big moments for 2016 has been a lot of heartbreak. But I reckon that's what makes it fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. And if you ask any St Kilda fan, they would have bite their hands off to just have that uh, one oh. moment. Um, I t- I, let me ask. Yeah, let me- I'm sorry to butt in there, but I reckon Bont was desperately unlucky. Um, you know, I, I go actually quite upset. I shouldn't get upset with these things. Uh, you're allowed. <laughs> I just turned the tally off and went to bed. I, I was just flat because I, I think the night needed it. Lockie Neal being in Brisbane left it flat. I mean, he looked shocked. He looked half embarrassed to win it himself. Yep. He said, I'm glad I'm not there. Well, you don't want to be there, Lockie. I mean, give it away, mate. Seriously, I thought there should have been more emotion and joy there, and we missed out on a special occasion with the Bond not winning. Agreed. Uh, what I wanted to ask you, Steve-O, was how many people do you reckon, I don't think anyone would know this for a fact except for the inner sanctum, how many people actually know who's about to win? Because clearly a few people know. Clearly the graphics department know uh, at Channel 7 because they're, they're bringing up the votes very quickly. No one's typing out those names. Uh, and, you know, the way that they can, you know, make sure Lockie Neal three votes is the last game of that round. So how many people do you reckon? I reckon three or four people, the people up on the desk there. Don't you love those people at the desk? Two of them I didn't even recognise. Yeah, great. Like the old uh, Pat Lotto blokes on the Saturday night. What were they <laughs> called? The adjudicators or making sure everything was right? Yeah. But they know two or three rounds in advance. And I know there's been, you know, a lot of conversations around the fact that you think the last round should be stage managed. We go through every game in order and then they fiddle with the votes at the end. I think for entertainment that's fine. But they do keep it very tight. There's no doubt that uh, there's only two or three people know about it. And they're quite quick with the graphics, aren't they? There's no doubt about it. So it's just a handful of people. I believe Andrew Dillon would have known, uh, Laura Kane, the head of footy there. And they're pretty good at shuffling the votes. Certainly added to the drama. 
And uh, did we see the Armour Guard guys come in this year? I can't oh, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they did. came in early. They're oh, uh, such a relief. It's interesting. The the casting of those um, those armor guard people is uh, you know it's different ones every year. It's always the younger, attractive looking guards uh, who get yeah. the Guernsey. It's not your grizzled old Liam Neeson types. It's your uh, it's your young Hemsworths and uh, actually there was a there was a, I, th- I believe it was a, a an Asian looking uh, girl uh, came in and uh, oh, I, I think I, that's generally one of my favorite uh, <laughs> moments of the brand. It's it's like. WWE level wrestling, that fakeness. Oh, it is. It's a tradition. And, and that reminds me of one of the best stories that my one of my best Brownlow stories actually happened in Queensland while we we're in the hub, obviously in the bubble. Um, oh, yeah. About probably 20 or so journos flew up, uh, paid for by the AFL to stay <laughs> in that resort uh, just out of Broad Beach near Carrara there. Uh, we were hemmed in for two weeks. But when we arrived uh, at the Gold Coast Airport, we're on the tarmac. We had to be bussed out of there. Um, it was high security. And I remember Patrick Keane, who basically is uh, Gil McLaughlin's right-hand man, used to be the media manager uh, of the AFL. Uh, we're on the bus, we're about to get off, and he had a, a plastic, what was it, either a Coles bag or a Woolworths bag. And I said, what's in the bag, mate? He said, they're the votes. Oh. So the Brownlow votes up to round 18 or whatever we were at at that stage, maybe round 16. And I just laughed and giggled. I said, mate, high security there. So he walked off with his cold bag. He had the Brownlow votes in a, a supermarket bag. So uh, that was the craziness of the COVID situation. Across the tarmac he walked and uh, he had to hand them in at that stage. And, of course, we had a crazy Brownlow up there. It was kind of uh, – where I kind of – was in a, we were in the back of the car park there at uh, – at Carrara. Um, and that was Gold Lockie Neal's first? Yes. Yeah. So uh, I remember that the night Libba came up in something quite weird, which was <laughs> unusual for him, in, in a whip or white suit or whatever. But that was, <laughs> there was no audience there. Patrick Keane's got the votes in a bag. Um, but the, the biggest heartbreak that I've ever suffered at a Brownlow involves Scotty West, of course, has been runner-up twice. It was in the year 2000. The Bulldog people probably remember this. I was sitting at a table sort of in the forward pocket there of the Palladium. Um, votes were level um, after Westy's final game. So he was level with Shane Wowoden. Oh, yeah. Um, and Westy was next to the West Coast table. And I remember this clearly. They were all high-fiving him, hugging him, saying, mate, you've got this. Uh, Wowie didn't uh, play well at all against us in the final round. In fact, we won the game. And I've, I've given Weston the thumbs up. He's getting all emotional. He knows he's tied it with Wowoden. Um, check the stats. Wowoden's had 14 touches. Very average sort of output. And the Demons have been rolled. And guess what? Two votes. S. Wowoden. Poor old Westy's deflated sitting in the chair. And I, I deep down, I don't think that Westy's ever recovered from that one. <laughs> so it was very similar to the Neil one that got us. I think Neil had about 14 touches. Got three votes uh, versus... GWS this year. Yes. Shane Wowoden, he was level with Westy. Again, it was stage managed. It came down to the last game. Melbourne lost to West Coast in Perth. Well, we had about 14 touches and got two votes. It is interesting how they... So they... It, should have been, it should have been tied. The other one, of course, was Chris Grant. Should have had two. Of course, I yeah. Mean, you remember 97. Ian, Ian Collins got involved. But the one that people forget, in 1996... Uh, he would have tied with Michael Voss, uh, but James Hurd got the three in the final That's round against right. Essendon at the MCG. Now, yeah. this gets forgotten. I was there that night. Chris Grant was clearly 
I believe, the best player on the ground. So final round MCG 1996. We lose um, by 20. It's a very, a very no, gallant defeat. No, we lost by a kick. I was at six. Um, was, Terribly it, sorry. Yes, you're was, right. It was, it was Steve Wallace's last game. Uh, the game was featured on the Year of the Dog documentary. I think you, you remember I do, that yes. one, that famous documentary. So Steve Wallace got chaired off. Chris Grant was sensational. Uh, B.O.G. In the last minute of the game, McCurry took a mark, somehow ran around and, and slotted a running goal. Essendon got up. There's no doubt that uh, if McCurry hadn't have kicked that goal, Chris Grant gets the three votes and he would have won the 96 Brownlow with Michael Voss. So he would have had two. So how unlucky is Chris Grant? That's the really un- the forgotten one uh, in 96. And, and James Hurd wouldn't be a Brownlow medalist. So uh, I think Jason Watts was on fire that night, leading up hard and kicked about four. Oh, what's he? Oh, God, Jason Watts, that's a name I've not thought about for a while. He was number 25, wasn't he? Yeah, and he wasn't certainly key forward size. But the way we were going in 96, we didn't have many options. Well, Jakovic we really turned out to be a bust. That. Yeah, he was. So, yeah, that's it. We've had some heartbreak with the dogs in Brownlows. I was there the night Cooney one once, uh, the burger ring one, of course. Uh, where people have the audacity to say he stole from Matty Richardson, but after hearing these stories, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fire back on a lot of those. Yeah, so I had a few crownies with Coons that night. And when you look back at it, he was fantastic, I thought, that season. And we'll certainly defend that one. A lot of people group Cooney in with, say, the Wodens of the world and say he was a one-hit wonder. I think that's a bit... Uh, that's very bit harsh. He was fantastic. Oh, very harsh. So that was a good one. But um, And, of course, Liver won a brown line with 18 votes. 18? Can you wow. believe that? That's, that's about half a season's worth in this era. He beat Sue Silvani by vote. And Graham Wright, I so, believe, uh, was the other one? Yeah, Graham Wright. And I know I'm rambling on a bit about Bulldogs Brownlows, but the other one was Scott Wine, who beat Jason Dunstall. And I've had a lot to do with the Chief over the years. We're, we're pretty good mates. And he's, oh, I love winding him up about that. I reckon Dunstall picked about 145 goals that year. Yep. And missed, uh, lost by a vote to Scotty Wine. He said, all these bloody ruckman. I picked 145. Um, still flat to Chief. Was Lockett the last non-midfielder to win the Brownlow? In 87? Or Jimmy Steins? What year was Steins? Oh, but he's a, a Ruckman's a midfielder. Steins is 91, oh, and what, sure. Scotty Wine's yeah, 92. Yeah, they're Ruckman. Yeah, Scotty Wine, 92. You're right. They were the last. They're the last of the Mohicans. And, and as I said to about Liver, I mean, Stoss nearly won one um, yeah. as a key back. So, look, I, I think the Brownlow's in a little bit of. Uh, lost a bit of its luster. I think it's lost on grand final week. I think it should be during that that we have to sit through before the final. I think that's a good call. Um, uh, it's just getting lost. You know, there's a lot happening grand final. The lead-up to the Brownlow is not as long as it probably should be. We should have two or three days of build-up. We're not getting that because we sort of have the two finals and then we're straight into it. And I think it's time now that the umpires need to... Well, they need some help, I think. As someone mentioned today, perhaps they could have a little uh, an advisor with them each week just to say, well, remember, he played well, he played well, a couple of stats because... I think they're getting it horribly wrong too often. Yeah, yeah. And don't forget, I think the goal umpires get involved as well. It's not just the field umpires there. So they, no, you know, spread the blame. The boundary? No, it can't be the goal. They've got enough trouble seeing what's going on, particularly the guy in Adelaide. We don't want him giving votes. But I think that what, what next? We're going to have boundary umpires doing it? I don't know. Yes, I think, little I leaguers. A yeah, few of the players' dads. Yeah. <laughs> The mystique of the Brownlow is all about the unpredictability. 
So I think we've just got to cop it on the chin. I reckon Bont was a bit lucky with a couple of his late. He got the three votes against Geelong in the last round. I don't think he was our best player that night. I thought it was Kalora Lobb. Yep. So it sort of swings in roundabouts. Um, but Lockie Neal, he wasn't even the All-Australian. No, that's uh, got to be the first time in a long time that that's uh, happened. I don't know if the stats in front of me uh, on that. Um, so uh, I think it happened, um, I've got it for you, Matt Critters. Oh, okay. Uh, it's 2015, I believe. Yeah, you're good with your numbers. I'm better at remembering the 80s and the 70s and 90s than I am. The, is that a sign of old age? That as a kid, you remember these years a bit better? The first time I sat up and watched the... Brownlow was 1980 when Kelvin Templeton won. I was so excited. Mum and Dad let me stay up till after 10 o'clock. That was sensational. Yeah. How old were you when Big KC won his? You're still uh, unborn. I was unborn. I was born in 82. And I think the first Brownlow I remember being able to sit and watch all of it live would have been 94 when uh, when Diesel got up. Uh, Greg Williams. I remember watching so all of that. Geez, you've had a boring existence. You had to wait till 12-year-old to sit up late. Uh, yeah, well, uh, we'd normally tape it. We'd normally record it right. and I'd watch it the next day. So, But, yeah, then yeah. I was allowed to, to – they didn't care so much once I was 12. It's, uh, oh, that's now, You're unleashed. Now we're going into trade week. I know you, you don't work in the sports journalism world anymore. I mean, you, you're working for the National Party. I mean, did you, did you hear – is there any trades going around? Is a Queensland going to take Dan Andrews on an unrestricted free agency uh, pick? just I'm not before sure the, I'm not sure his currency is quite there at the moment for Dan. I mean, they made it help. I think his currency is on the nose a little bit from a trade perspective, as good as his career has been. I'm actually on the steps of Parliament at the moment as we speak, so there's a bit happening here. But look, it's a fascinating time of year. Um, I think we all laughed when they started that trade radio, which is basically around the clock trade news, yep. and we thought it'd be overkill, but people can't get enough of it. In my time at the Herald Sun and Channel 7, if, you, if you're doing anything on the website, there's more clicks on trades than anything else. Trades and drafts now are almost bigger uh, than the game itself, which uh, really is extraordinary. It's taken a lot of the focus even away from finals. Now, I think as soon as your team's out, you start looking for hope, don't you? So That's it. It seems like it, it will be a, a busy trade period. You know, St Kilda are getting active. Uh, looks like they're going to pick up Hill and Shield, Gresham uh, to Essendon. Um, and what do you think of the North Melbourne situation? I think that uh, I think we've gone over it, but we might create a monster at North. They might get too good within two years. They're getting too many picks. I think we need a pure draft. Yeah, uh, Bannerman, what do you think? Well, last time a team uh, got this much help from the AFL, uh, a few years later they suddenly uh, knocked off the Bulldogs in a grand final. So, yeah, I'm a bit annoyed about it. And uh, according to a friend of the show, Chaz Licciadello, this should this might cost us pick four. Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Yes, they can trade. So those picks can now be used to satisfy Gold Coast to get that earlier pick, which... I don't agree with. I think if you're going to give help, last time they gave North Health, they had to use it on um, mature players if they were going to trade. So what that, that, that's just disadvantaging the Bulldogs who've got the picks there, want to, to use that, get down, and then be able to get uh, Crofty's son, Jordan Croft. Yeah. So whenever you um, change these rules, that in other thing, there's always the consequences that you don't think of. So I believe that after this, I've had enough of... Um, these sort of priorities and whatever. Let's just have a clean, pure system because footy's in good shape. I mean, North uh, purposely went down the bottom. They picked, you know, the draft picks haven't been great. That's that's their problem. So they'll they'll get back there. 
my yeah. issue is that they could get back there a bit quicker than we thought. And have you heard anything about from the Bulldogs' uh, perspective? Is there any uh, any any? Has there been any? Um, you know, we're all worried about Tim English, Aaron Norton. Is, has there been any movement that you've heard from your sources? No, I mean that's all on a holding pattern. Now you've got Jamara too, so it's going to be a real challenge for the club, isn't it? You've got Eugle Hagen, Bailey Smith, um, Aaron Norton, and Tim English. Yeah, um, all coming out at the same time. So. If you're Sam Power, you're sitting there nervously at the moment. So if you add up the market value of those players, I've got English as a ruckman. If, if you took him on a six-year, he's a million-dollar man. Yep. I've, I'd have Norton at eight to nine hundred. Yep. So we're, we're already up to around one point eight. Uh, to get a Jamara Eugle Hagen, I think showing magical uh, qualities at the moment, even at his age, is is a six hundred plus. And Bailey Smith is probably uh, a seven to eight. They're big dollars, aren't they? How do we keep that? Yeah, I'm glad this is the sort of stuff I can never get my head around. Yeah, and of course, then you've you've still got Libby going, you've got Bond. um, So what they've got is a great list. And when you look at it, it's insanity that they didn't play final. Um, But that's for another day, obviously. But it's going to be a real challenge to keep all these players. I think that... Uh, Buku Karmas potentially now may stay, which would be good news. Jordan Sweet, you, you can understand him going. Yes. Because um, he, he simply wasn't given a crack at it. I thought he probably could, should have been given a, a couple of looks teaming with Tim English. Um, yep. Just to have a look at that this year. So you can't blame him for going. No. Yep. Uh, and that means the dogs are now going to have to go and find another mature age sort of ruckman to sit there as a backup. Because uh, when you look at it, Tim English has been pretty durable apart from a couple of concussions. He's played uh, pretty much all the footy. I hear Brody Grundy's available. Yeah, he might. Uh, he might get to the dogs eventually. So that that was uh, a mess, wasn't it? In a lot of ways, and, and these days clubs aren't playing the two ruckmen. So it's a real wicketkeeper type theory, isn't it? Once you, you if you're a backup wicketkeeper, you might have to wait a while. Yeah, you don't end up being the Tim Zura of the Bulldogs. No, the Chuck Berry. There's plenty of them around that didn't quite get there. At least Sura got there, but my old mate Chuck didn't quite get there to play for Australia. So I think the dogs are well placed if they make the right decisions. They probably they had some dead wood they needed to cut away. Uh, at the bottom of the list, the bottom six is the issue. Yep. Um, but I think the, the, the concern is that Libba's a year older, McRae's a year older, um, and Libba, McRae, Bont, all these guys, they didn't touch wood, didn't get injured this year. So... And I think we've become over-reliant on the Bont. And the game touch wood. The Bont doesn't miss many games. So imagine if you know, he, he did a hammy and missed the six weeks. That would be a real test, I think, for the club. Agreed. Yeah, we would be in, in all sorts. Uh, so are you feeling optimistic for, for next year, steve Oh, of course I am. Very optimistic. I think there's, there's no excuses. It should be finals again. Yep. And, and, and the reason I'm a little bit flat, uh, Bannerman, is I look at the Collingwood and Brisbane side and on paper, and they've both got weaknesses. Brisbane are a bit wobbly at the G. Collingwood really haven't got a key forward. You look at it as a bulldog first and say, hang on, we could beat these guys. Well, we did beat so, Brisbane in, in round three, yeah. and Collingwood, we weren't too far off. Yeah, let's. we did beat three of the top four. Uh, so, yeah, who will you be cheering for uh, this weekend? Will you be wanting oh. uh, Josh Dunkley to, to get, a, uh, get another premiership medal or Lipinski oh. and Roughhead? Well, it's a tough one. I love Josh Dunkley. I like him as a player, but I, I still confused and bewildered by why he left. Yep. Um, so all is not forgiven there. It's not a loving when you leave um, a footy club. 
and sort of, Colin, I, I don't really want either team to win, to be honest. I'm going to go for Brisbane <laughs> yeah, for something different. I do admire Collingwood, but um, all the carry-on. I think Brisbane will win. Um, I just think they've got less weaknesses. And I mentioned the key forwards. I think a lot comes down to Brody Meyer check, of course, with McStay out. Yep. They just look a bit thin in the forward line. They're struggling to kick goals. And if you look at Brisbane, they've got the two calls, even though Hipwood and Danaher, they can go missing. But they've still got, you know, the Charlie Camerons. They've got the other little blokes um, zipping around their camp. You know, they're pretty well balanced, aren't they? They've got a good key defence and a pretty good, um, well, they've got a good midfield as well. So I think on paper, Brisbane should win this game. Yeah, I'll be I'll be cheering for Brisbane, and uh, I'm, I'm famous, very controversially, I'm for a twilight grand final. But I'm glad that this one's at two thirty in the afternoon because uh, we all know that Chris Fagan has to be in bed by eight o'clock. So, <laughs> oh, pops, pops will be gone early. <laughs> we know that. But look, I'm I I do enjoy grand final day because it's hot. I, this this year too, I think it's advantageous that it's not too late because I think a lot of people are going to be on the. Uh, on the source, if you like, pretty early. I know I'm meeting some mates at 11.30 at a pub in Richmond and then walking off to the footy. So that's the issue. You've got to pace yourself. Yes. You know, for a twilight grand final. I think an 11.30 build-up works into 2, 2.30. I think that's doable. <laughs> but just imagine 11.30 start in Richmond and then a 5.30 bounce. Uh, let's, if only someone will think of the binge drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's exciting, Graham. It's hard not to get swept up in it. Yeah, and, you know, but but I just I noticed today that there's no concert this year, which it's slipped through to the keeper. So of course, well, there's Kiss playing. Of, yeah, but there's no post game concert. Oh, okay. You know the post, yeah, you know the post match situation where oh, I hosted it. Living end and um, living end and Vance Joy we had. Did you host it? Mm. One of the best like gigs the, of my life. Oh, sensational! So we've seen all that sort of thing. Um, you know, and the Bulldogs, I've, I've got a painting, I've got a big photo on my, in the hallway actually at home of the dogs coming out in the dark after that to greet the fans. So that won't happen this year, which I think is a little bit sad, but at least we'll get to see Kiss. Which songs are you hoping for? Oh, look, I'm, I don't own any Kiss albums, but I know a lot of their stuff, uh, like Shout It Out Loud. That'll be, the, the, one, like, the thing I loved about Robbie Williams last year is he knows how to play a crowd, and so will Kiss. So, you know... Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I hope they do. Genuine, okay, yeah. This is the first I've thought about it. I hope they do. God gave rock and roll to you. It's a real uh, cigarette yeah. lighters, whole crowd singing along. It's uh, for, if you've seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, you know it's a true power yeah. ballad. I hope. I hope oh, they do finish. Or they no, they chuck it in the middle. Yeah, Shandy, maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I like Lick It Up actually, which is a, a real hard rocking '80s one when they didn't have any makeup on. Oh, but, wow. uh, it'll be exciting. So hopefully the voice resonates well. I think they're getting a bit old, and it was sort of a second. I think it was going to be crowded house, wasn't it? Well, I've got to say, that's a win for Australia. Agreed. We need hard rock on grand final day. We don't need crowded house. Nah. Next year, let's get Death Leopard, and the year after, White Snake. And then Aerosmith before Steve Tyler completely loses his, his mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve, no, it'll be great. I'm looking Thanks so much for, for coming on the show and uh, and we'll, we'll have to get you back after trade week and uh, analyse what the hell's happening at our club. Yeah, we'll do. A pleasure to be on the show again and uh, hopefully to see you back at the footy next year as the banner guy because we, all we can do is keep pushing. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I know the, the president listens to this uh, podcast. Kylie, I'm here, here if you need. Good on you, banner man. 
because you do your podcast with Rowan Connolly now, so you're you're back on with your finger on the pulse, constantly commentating <laughs> on media. I don't know if I'm my finger on the pulse, but yeah, I do that uh, that, uh, that podcast, a couple of radios here and there, but uh, yeah, the podcast has been a bit of fun, actually, so I did that this morning. Um, we recorded that, and um, we'll put that in, I don't know how they ever do it. And That's the footyology podcast to get the plug yeah, away? Yeah, it's the yeah, it's the footy, yeah, footyology. So, which Rowan's been doing for six or seven years, I think, and this is my first year with him doing that. So, it's been enjoyable. It's been good. It's been a bit of fun. All right. Well, Rocket, this is you're the, you're the person we need to just ask bluntly. Since you're still got your, you're, you're still watching a lot of footy. You still, you know, our club back to front. What the hell happened? <laughs> yeah, it was disappointing, wasn't it? Oh yes. Um, and uh, um, yeah, those yeah. The, some games that they shouldn't have lost. I think um, it's interesting watching, and this is, confirms my thought on the Western Bulldogs, I think where Carlton, their season turned around, they they tweaked or changed their game plan. Um, and teams have done that al- along the way. And I, I don't think the Western Bulldogs, I think they still play really relatively the same way and they're easy to... Uh, scout against, if that's the right phrase. Yeah. Um, so I think their midfield's not as strong as it used to be. They used to be really strong in the midfield, and that was their go handball and get out. Um, they recruited some tools, as we know, but I think they just generally, and I think Melbourne fall into the same trap, just bomb the ball. I don't think uh, they look to um, uh, hit a, an advantage or kick an advantage for a, for, you know, for a teammate, which I think the Giants have really opened that up. I think the Giants' ball movement has been fantastic. And they, they really haven't got, except for Toby Green, haven't got gun forwards. But they uh, do change the angles and do hit leading targets and do um, keep the ball the other side of the ground, etc. So they give all forwards an, an opportunity. I think that's all that really that I think they've just got to tweak. Um, I don't think there needs to be massive change, but I think their ball going inside 50 probably just needs to improve. Okay, so how much of a tweak, if you could give it a percentage, uh, how much is it between... Because obviously by this time next year we should be excited about Bont getting his second ever uh, Premiership medal after winning his first Brownlow. How much of a change do we have to tweak for that? <laughs> yeah, I think there's some there's some personnel positions that they obviously want to show up. I think a couple of things at the wrong time, which all clubs get. I mean, Jane was a revelation uh, yeah. halfway through the year then. Him going down didn't uh, didn't help, um, and, but I think there's enough talent within and on the list that they can improve. But I think just changing, well, I reckon at least ten to twenty percent. They need to they need to okay, change that. That's a fair yeah, amount. So yeah, it is, and I think uh, the game evolves. The game changes that quickly, and even changes mid season, as I said. And I think uh, uh, the Giants. Modified and tweaked theirs along the way. I think Carlton had a big, a big change in theirs mid-season. That was you now they used to go very conservative with the ball, go backwards, sideways. Um, then they played a full momentum game after about round twelve, where they you know, they got the ball in quickly into their forwards. Um, so, so teams can do it. They know they can do it on the run, and uh, I think the dogs have got all summer to you know to work that out. 
Okay, all right. And about the Brownlow on Monday, I mean, you you were coach when we last got our Brownlow with uh, with Adam Cooney. Is it a is it a source of pride for the coach to know that you've got the best out of a a player, or is it or is it something you sort of just uh, go well, well done to them, but I'm here for the team. Uh, yeah, I think it's more the second one. I think there's a bit of pride in the individual and you know the joy that uh, that person in that case it was Adam, who was only young at the time, and he was a pretty popular teammate. So I think really the whole group were really thrilled that he was able to win it. It was unfortunate for him with his knee, which really um, at such a young age to sort of succumb to that and sort yeah. of diluted his 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 output from now on. But uh, yeah, it was exciting for the for the players in the group. I think. What you're probably alluding to was uh, Marcus uh, robbed of it um, yes. the other night. I'm uh, glad you used that word. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, you know, I, I'm not as yeah. Look, everyone mentions. I think there's round six game. We're looking, you're getting three votes, but yeah. I think there's swings and roundabouts. I think everyone, every player, they probably say, "Oh, I should or should have got these game, uh, these votes, or no, I should have got this one." I think it's a really hard job for the empires to do. Um, we scrutinise every decision they make because um, the game has become so big now, isn't it? It's, uh, it's such a beast as everyone uh, scrutinises with an inch of its life um, and social media that the umpires really do a tough job umpiring the game. Then they're supposed to go in and give the votes and then we've heard that they don't get any assistance as in stats, access to stats. Now some umpires have said they don't want to be controlled by stats and that's a fair point. But I think we need to work out how we can assist them in their judgment after a game. So they because unfortunately with what's happened, the umpires are ones to get criticised. Yeah. And um, I, I, I think it's a bit unfair. So I think if we can assist them and help them in some way, um, the interesting thing with all that, and I think well, Lucky Neil was probably a little bit shocked as well because yeah. he can make all Australian. But the top six players, they're in different order, of course, um, finished the first six placings in the coaches' voting. That, yes, that but, is interesting. So they, you'd probably say that the umpires got it right, as in having that six place now different order. Um, and did Marcus deserve to win it, the tracker or you know, Dacos or Gordon or whoever? But they, they generally got it right. I think the other howler was that Jason Hawk Francis, Francis getting three votes for 13 possessions and no tackles yeah. and four, <laughs> four clangers. So whether they can work out, whether the umpires sit down after a game and pick their best six and then check the stats after that to probably circumvent any howlers, um, I think maybe it's a way. But I think we've got to talk to the umpires what assistance they uh, want and what they can have to uh, maybe make a, a bit more measured decision at the time. Yeah. How did you go on the brown low? Did you get many votes as a player? The uh, best year I had was... Uh, early 80s, I got about 13 or 14 or something, I think. Did you get to go along? Yes, yes, went oh. along, yes, a couple of times. So that was um, that was all right. Then plenty of times as a coach, obviously, by the end of the time, you get sick of the other brown line. It becomes a boring night. But <laughs> Especially when you got to fly uh, into state. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, so they, no, they've made it up to be a really... Uh, Spectacle now, haven't they? It's uh, it's sort of part of the uh, DNA now. It's uh, the younger people really uh, enjoy that. And I think to the other element, and this I don't know whether I'm grasping at straws, but I think with betting becoming so big and popular now with younger people, there 
they're betting on every game and the boutique bets that they have and who gets the most votes here and all that. But they pick it up so quickly that all these um, questionable games, as in the number of votes, uh, they're up. They're on social media virtually straight away. So you know, we knew by that before the count about Neil not uh, getting those votes in round six against GWS. So, so it is a, it is a big spotlight on it. That's for sure. And who are you going to go for this weekend? Uh, you you did work at Collingwood as a as an assistant, is that right? Uh, yeah, director of coaching. Director um, of coaching, that's it. And uh, and then um, was football manager for uh, fourteen months before I went to the Gold Coast. So yeah, had the two roles. So so I certainly enjoyed my time there. Who am I going to go for? Do you mean who do I think will win, or who am I going for? Both. <laughs> um. I think a lot of the indicators show that the, the Lions can win, and I'm probably hoping the Lions can win. Um, but I just got a feel. I think the Pies have shown in uh, use the word trust. I suppose probably the word you go to, but they've been in this, this situation so many times, as in tough, tight. They can defend well when they need to. They kick goals in a hurry at times. Um, and it's just not quite there with the Lions, as in w- will player X play well or can you trust him in a big game? So they'd be a lot more contested than usual. Um, I think uh, the pound for pound and player for play, you probably probably lean a bit towards the Lions. But I'll go around in circles, but I'm going to pick uh, the Pies by about uh, 10 points. Yeah, I think I don't know if I've mentioned this on the broadcast yet, but yeah, I'm I'm going for the Brisbane, but I think Collingwood will win. Uh, so, Roger, are you keeping footyology going during the AFLW season and the in the off season, or are you taking a holiday <laughs> no, soon? No, we're we're doing one next Monday as a review, and that's uh, that's it for the uh, for the footyology. As far as I've been known, well, I've just been put on the interchange bench and, and replaced. So I'm not too sure, but <laughs> I think I don't think he keeps it going. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we will. Uh, we're we're going to keep going, so uh, we will hope. But we'll probably chat to you uh, next year. You can uh, enjoy the 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 summer, and uh, hopefully, we'll get you on next year, and you can analyse the tweaks to the game plan, which have put us undefeated uh, uh, for the whole season. No worries at all, Danny. Looking forward to it, mate. All the best. Thank you, Rocket. I'm sick of all these people who like have proper opinions and are well-educated about footy and, and you know, I, didn't, I need another Nuffy. Kev Hillier, you're my <laughs> – you are the Nuffy of all Nuffies. You are you – the, man, I just read um, Too Tough to Die, the uh, the book about the fight back in 1989, and you hosted yeah, – Kerry book. Kerry, Kerry Sorin's book, uh, the, yeah. the Bulldog Tradition, as we call her. Um, and uh, and you you got uh, you, you got to host the the closing victory party concert. How was that? Yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. It was the best ever. Um, Who was we, on? Uh, we weren't sure if we were gonna we weren't sure if we were gonna have the money, and we thought that would that would maybe get us over the line to get the money by putting the concert on. But we had the money before the concert, which changed the whole attitude of the concert. Oh yeah, the concert then went from being from being a fundraiser to being a hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> and it was oh it was it, it was fantastic it was great because we, we were able to stand there and as MC I was able to stand there and I did do a couple of uh, lines about Ross Oakley and about the AFL and about the competition that I wouldn't have done if we were still fundraising because because it was 
as uh, you know, Ted so beautifully said, because it was sticking up in time and we could, because uh, we knew we were going to survive, we went for it. Uh, it was fantastic. Uh, the, the lineup of talent at Tina Arena, because oh. um, Peter Hoyland, who's a mad Bulldogs man and was running the Grain Store Tavern and managing acts and all that, he was the catalyst to get all the all the talent together. So he and I worked really hard on that and got, and got all these people. Uh, Tina Arena. Uh, weddings parties, anything? Nice. Uh, gee whiz, who else did we have? Uh, Ernie Sickley did a did a great spot for us. Comedians coming from everywhere. Um, Richard Stubbs. Um, God, I'm trying to remember who else was. I think there. Pete Rosethorn was, was mentioned. Harder. Yeah, Pete did it. Yeah, he great did too. comic. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, there was uh, everyone just went. Yeah, I'm there. I'll, hand up, I'll do it. And uh, oh God, it was good. And the end when we did uh, celebration and everyone got on stage and. And the crowd, it was just, it was, uh, it was fantastic. It was a great, it was a really great night, really great night. Well, we need those positive memories because uh, just recently being a Bulldogs fan has been full of uh, negative and frustration uh, memories. What do you want to talk about? The end of season slump or Bont uh, being robbed in the Brownlow? Well, I hate the Brownlow. Do you? <laughs> oh, well, I hated this year's Brownlow oh, no. for a number of reasons. <laughs> one, one, being, one being that Bont didn't win and, I've, and that cutaway shot when they called the three votes for that, that was just that was so painful to watch. Yeah, because he's such a you know a, a fabulous human being, Bond, as well as a fabulous footballer. So that that annoyed. And the other thing it does is they play the highlights package and remind you of all the bloody games you should have won <laughs> that you didn't. <laughs> you so actually, you reminded me. And they didn't show every match from every round. And uh, one they missed out on was uh, us beating Richmond at the G. I was like, come on, I want to see us win that. Oh, okay, I must have missed that That was one. round I must have five, I think. Like, it was Easter Saturday when we beat them uh, okay. in the wet. The, um, the, 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 uh, the ability to fall into a coma during the Brownlows is, is very easily done. Yes. Um, and, you don't, and you don't need to have a drink or do anything else. You just need to be sitting on the couch and all of a sudden you'll find yourself in a coma. Um, Sorry, the McLaughlin brothers might be the nicest blokes in the world, but uh, I actually I wrote a, I wrote a, an ode to them, oh, um, to the tune of the Leyland brothers. <laughs> um, I can't sing, so I'll, I'll read it to you. I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you what it, what it came up with. Tune in all over the countryside. Watch the lay, watch the McLaughlin brothers counting the votes from three to one. Can't watch. The McLaughlin brothers. <laughs> Gill's a Dill and Haynes the same. They've done their best to stuff up the game. And I can't tell you the last line. It's, it's not, it, you know, I think you know where my sentiments were going. I, I dare um, say. I'm going to strongly disagree because Hamish got me my first job on TV, so I love him. But, yeah, no, I'm you're right. Him. Gill's a Dill. I'm sure he's the loveliest bloke, but uh, sorry, the, that as a coupling was not working for me. Um, yeah, look, uh, I, I was heartbroken for Marcus. Um, but that's that's the Brownlow. I mean, let's face it. If probably if Nick Dacos hadn't missed the last three games, he probably wins the Brownlow. Oh yes, I'd say quite easily as well. And that that's the actual sad thing because uh, everything went right for Bont. You know, no injuries, uh, carried the team. Uh, you could see Nick Dacos winning three or four Brownlows over the next few years. I can see Bont winning a couple. To be honest, I mean he's gone close enough now. I hope he's not. I hope he doesn't become that player that just misses out. Yeah, that always misses out. I mean, he's not Terry Wallace who went in as as outright unbackable favourite and didn't get a vote the year that he was. Oh, what year was that for the uh, for the medal? Um, 
in it was in the eighties. I can't remember the exact year, but he was he was unbackable favourite to win it, and he did not poll a vote. Ooh. Um, which, which you know, Plough's a very proud man, and uh, I think he won. He might have won whatever the equivalent of the Players Award was at that stage, which I think might have been the Herald Sun Award or whatever it was. He didn't get a vote in the Brownlow, uh, and Scotty West was so stiff there uh, in his little run with Brownlow votes. And uh, you know, we've had our, we've had our share of of surprise wins. Mm-hmm. I would have thought 1985 when I was. Um, moving house and watching the television at the same time, watching Brad Hardy win the medal was one of the great surprises. Um, didn't didn't expect that one. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, um, Lebo when he you know did he did his knee towards the end of that nineteen ninety season and finished up winning. Scotty Wine winning was was probably one that we, we we'd hoped but weren't sure was going to happen. Coons was a surprise. Have we still won the second most amount of Brownlows? I know the Swans were ahead of us and. But that was pre goodsy we, we were number one at one stage. I've got a poster somewhere here of signed of all the all the Brownlow medalists, oh. Roundy and and Elvin and everybody. Um, uh, and that was up to and including Scotty, I think, in '92. Um, See, so Chris, you know, Chris should have won that one in. Oh no, '97. I know, I know. We're all outraged. Don't worry, I've gone through these with Steve-O. Um, so, uh, but you've been <laughs> around the Bulldogs for so long. You've been there through the peaks and the troughs. And and everything. How, how are you feeling for, for 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 next year's men's season? I mean, we we just spoke off here about the uh, the AFLW season. We should uh, mention that. Uh, well, you know, I like what they're doing in the midfield. I like what they're doing in defence. Once they cross that fifty metre line, my God, it's it's what's <laughs> what is happening. Uh, they couldn't hit a cow on the backside with the frying pan at the moment, unfortunately, <laughs> which is which is terrible. But. It's it's uh, it, it's so sad for Nathan Burke and the girls because uh, Burke's such a great bloke and a, and a terrific coach and I really thought they're going to do very well this year. Yes, I thought, me too. Uh, I, I've been quite confident and sort of you know bullish in in thinking that they were going to do really well. Four games down uh, in a ten game season, that's going to be really hard now. Yeah, but are you going Friday night to the uh, tomorrow night? Um, by the time this goes to where tomorrow night at uh, what day? It's today Wednesday or Thursday? Today's Wednesday. Anyway. You going to Whitnoble? Back to the Whitnoble. I cannot do it ah. because I have work commitments. But uh, the Whitnoble, I have so many great memories of football games at that at, at that uh, oval. Yeah, many, many, many years. The the immediate one that springs straight into my head is Jim Edmund, Simon Beasley, Collingwood, <laughs> Graham Allen. That day, I've seen is, that match. One of the best days. Oh, one it's of on YouTube. Ever like anyone under oh. the under the age of forty, you're gonna have to. Watch it on YouTube because it, but it genuinely oh, is such an amazing match. And look out for that special appearance by Dr. Jim Edmund, who was the uh, the captain giving a mental health assessment to the uh, Collingwood player after he kicked the ball across <laughs> the goal. Poor old Gubby Allen, he's never lived that down. Uh, no, that was that was a great day. But there's so many great days, and it's so good to have footy back. I saw the uh, the oval in terms of the uh, the actual surface is beautiful. Yeah, the players have been talking it's, it up. It's Magnificent! Um, uh, that'll be that'll be something to see tomorrow night. I wonder if they'll let us have a, a kick on the ground afterwards with all the with the new. Surely they will. Uh, that <laughs> you'd think so, but uh, the one thing uh, discovered at the VFL Grand Final on the weekend, uh, at, which was played at Carlton's ground, was that you're not allowed on the ground. It's okay. It's community football. But we don't want the community on the ground. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So we'll see, we'll see what happens with uh, – hopefully they will let people on the ground. I hope they do. 
So, Kev, you're doing the you're, you're still doing the Two Dogs podcast. Give it a plug. I mean, we yes. we're, we're all the Bulldogs yeah. podcast family. Uh, you got any? What's what's you, what do you got coming up? Uh, coming up, I'm going to do a '60s uh, special edition. I've got an interview that I did a couple of years back with uh, Johnny Schultz, uh, which oh, talks about John's uh, coming to the club and uh, and his time at the club and and everything that happened up until uh, it was it was just after the 2016 grand final win. So um, um, that's going to go up fairly shortly along with some of the, the really big characters of the 60s who I still see every week in the past players room um, because that's the room I do these days and they're all in there and they're still all chipper and uh, and up and about the uh, the Joslins and the Slatteries and the Bryants of the world who are all still in there every week watching the doggies and cheering them on. They're a terrific bunch of blokes. So we'll do one of those. And you can go back and have a listen to some of the old ones. We've got uh, all sorts of terrific uh, uh, stars of the past in there, you know, and even the late great Barry Rounds on one of the podcasts. Yeah, this so, is what uh, I need because well, I... Well, we're for people my of my vintage and uh, like, we don't know enough about the 60s and, and 70s uh, Bulldogs players. They don't get enough coverage. So, yes, I can't wait to deep dive into that. Uh, thank you, listeners. That's the end of our, our Brownlow autopsy episode, finishing with a fellow nothing. Do I qualify as, you know, King Nuffy of... I don't know. You're a bit too sensible at times, Kev. I know what you're like when the mics are off, so... It's the first time anyone said that to me in about 30 years. Well, I'm mate, a bit too sensible. Maybe we should get you back on after trade week and uh, we'll see what your thoughts are after we potentially <laughs> oh, lose some uh, some beloved. Pick the good ones. Yes. Uh, thank you, mate. Always always good to catch up with you. Always good to see you, your happy smiling face and your happy smiling voice. Yeah, it's got all good. All right. Well, I hope your team wins on the weekend. And Oh, and finally, who are you going for, Collingwood or Brisbane? I uh, got a Collingwood supporter in the house, so uh, I, I think I, I think they'll win anyway, and I think they'll win by thirteen points. And I think Isaac Quainer will win the Norm Smith Medal, <gasps> and I think Joe Danaher will kick the first goal. Okay, yeah, these are good. That's good to know your multi on there. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing: just I'm not allowed to bet on the footy. I don't bet on the footy. I don't bet to, so, either. Uh, but I, I, t- I tell you what, though, this is just totally off topic and probably not the vibe we should finish off. Isaac Quainer, <laughs> my God, he's handsome. Let's like he's like Hemsworth level handsome. He's ridiculous. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, I'm happily married to a female woman, but my God, he's hot. <laughs> All right, we'll we wrap it up. There. Smith medal making him even more attractive around his neck on Saturday night. Who knows? Oh, I'd see him in dog's colours. <laughs> I hope it's a good game. I hope it's a good game. It's going to be hot, so I hope it's a good game. I do too. All right, thanks, Kev. Hope your team wins. See you next time, dogs fans. Hey there, doggies. I gave my childhood to that role. Of the red, white and blue sea And the knowledge that you had to love The bulldog boys and me Twenty years on, I feel that longing Hanging in September air But the reason I go every week Is to pretend you're still there And they will find the glory one day And I will throw it at your feet It's a long, long road they're running for you The dogs of Footscray Streets It's a long, long road they're running for you Dogs and Footscray Streets